0: Okay, it is the morning of May 30th, 2019, and I am Dean Larrett, otherwise sometimes known as Dr. Dean, sometimes even known on Instagram as Dr. Dean 125. I don't know too many uh, patients that call me Dr. Dean 125, but needless to say, uh, we are here at Bedtime Stories with Dr. Dean and as promised, as I said I was going to do, I was going to become a little bit more disciplined at this, I, uh, at doing, putting out a podcast, uh, I guess more frequently. I, I think this is uh, two weeks ago. I think two weeks ago that I put out the last one. And I do thank my viewers for staying with me. Uh, I'm very surprised that after all that length of time that uh, some people have still stayed on board. Uh, and i hope uh hope I can attract a larger audience as we go further um, so a couple of things before we get started uh let 's talk about the n b a playoffs, which uh led into the games that are coming up right now, the final playoff series in the n b a season is the Toronto Raptors against the golden State warriors so that's going to be an interesting series. And uh, opens up uh, today. Actually, I take it back. It's the thirtieth. Yeah, it's Thursday. It's not Wednesday. I, 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 yeah. I just realized it's Thursday, the thirtieth of May. Uh, not Wednesday. So um, that opens up today later on in the day. And um, that's going to be an interesting series. Uh, that that I think will go seven games. I I don't know how this one's going to go. I don't know without Kevin Durant playing. Uh, I found the. The playoffs, very interesting so far. I just don't understand how a team like the Milwaukee Bucks, who leads the league in wins for the year, I don't understand how they win the first two games and they get swept four games uh, in a row. Uh, my theory about going to a basketball game these days is literally don't even go till uh, four, six minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Uh, there's no reason to sit through the first three quarters of a game. Uh, stay in the parking lot uh, Do Instagram videos But don't waste your time watching a basketball game uh, Three quarters Three and a half quarters in There's just no reason uh, You're up by 15 points uh, With six minutes to go And you lose by four So it's it's just It's absolutely ridiculous The, Port, uh, the, the Milwaukee Bucks Gave up a big lead A nice 15 or 16 point lead the other night uh, So they're gone the team that I thought was going to be the best and suited to play against the Golden State Warriors, and um, the Portland Trailblazers had three 17-point leads in in the playoff games, and they got swept. Uh, right? Yeah, yeah, they got swept. That's correct. I just it boggles my mind. It just boggles my mind that uh, you can't win. You can't win it. You're up by 17 points in the late in the third late in the third quarter and you can't win a ball game. It just it just blows my mind. So that's what's going on in basketball. I think this series will somehow squeak its way to a seven game series and then we'll um we'll have a a champion, we'll have a new champion or a repeat Golden State Warriors and uh this is going to be an interesting one. This is going to be an interesting series. So we'll see uh Toronto matches up with this team pretty pretty good because Toronto's a big team. So we'll see. And then, of course, you got Kawhi Leonard, who's just phenomenal. So we'll see. It's going to be interesting. Uh, Kevin Durant, I uh, would gather, is not going to be playing too many games in this series. I am so highly qualified to tell you people that it's going to be tough for him to play. There is nobody who knows more about calf strains than than Dean Larratt, than than uh, yours truly. I have lived my life blowing out my calves at least one to two times a year. And there's just no way you can get on a basketball court. There's just no way. Uh, I have friends to this day that, uh, if I say, yeah, I just got home from a jog or a run or whatever they go, I had the calves hold up. That's how, That's how well-known my friends know my problems with my calves in the past. So uh, I've done some biomechanical changes on my body over the last bunch of years um, due to my knowledge of exercise fizz and chiropractic background. So I've been able to uh, reduce a lot of it, plus uh, warming up and stretching before him. But if there's anyone who knows about uh, calf raises, when I found out that Durant did what he did, I told everybody, I said, oh, he's not playing the rest of the series. Uh, people were like, what are you talking about? He'll sit out one or two games. And I said, not a prayer, not a prayer. I know all about this. Calf strains are ridiculous. So with that said, let's talk very, quickly, very briefly about um, the Stanley Cup playoffs, Stanley Cup uh, finals. That is uh, the St. Louis Blues uh, visiting the uh, two games already um, the Boston, Boston Bruins. The series is tied. I just watched that a little while ago. I just watched game two a little while ago, and that ended very quickly in overtime. And uh, St. Louis Blues walked out of Boston uh, one and one one game apiece. That's huge for, for, the, uh, for the away team, for the visiting team. That's huge to split. So that's really about it. The Yankees are in first place which for an ex-new yorker is a great thing to see. Um Dodgers are playing great ball out here for a uh for a Los Angeles resident. And uh, and the New York Mets are holding their own just a tad under 500. So that's about it. Not going to really I'm, you know we're not making this podcast out to be a sport, you know, a sports thing, but I did want to do a little coverage of things uh prior to getting into other stuff. Um where did I want to go i 'm just thinking, is there any more sports to talk about i don 't believe there is actually now that I think about it. Um, oh, I will say uh, my girlfriend and I saw a great movie the other night. We saw Echo in the Canyon, which is a documentary by Jacob Dylan, son of Bob Dylan um, and this is a it 's an interesting story interesting documentary it 's about the influence. Of um, the Laurel Canyon. Now, Laurel Canyon is a is a canyon in obviously uh, in Los Angeles, which separates uh, the valley from, for lack of a better word, the city. Um, I never really considered the other side of town, the city, uh, growing up in a city like myself. I never really considered it that, but. Um, The Laurel Canyon was a, by about a seven or eight mile winding road um, in the mountains that um, you, uh, where where in the 60s, the late 60s, rock and rollers uh, were living and crashing out at each other's houses and uh, couches and playing music together, and and albums were developed and songs were written. Uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash um uh was part of that scene uh the birds was part of that scene buffalo springfield was part of that scene which was neil young and steven stills and a couple of others i can't remember the other two with two people in the band um uh mamas and the Papas and uh jackson brown and it, it just it was just an amazing amazing documentary And I'm just trying to think of any other uh, people in there. But it was it. It could have had Hendrix in there. It could have had Jim Morrison in there. Uh, But uh, um, even though Hendrix was gone, I think in September of '70, and uh, Morrison, I think, was also '70 or '71. I can't remember when he died. But they all were part of that um, that Laurel Canyon. Uh, get stone, drop acid, and let 's write a movie uh, let 's write a song together kind of thing so it was just a phenomenal phenomenal hour and thirty minute uh documentary and i and i think it's uh, I think it's going to do very well uh possibly in the award circuit so uh, it was really 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 just uh, the the cinematography was just amazing, and uh, the storyline was amazing like for instance, I had no clue that the Beatles were influenced by the birds okay uh it, it, you know it's funny that we're talking about birds and Beatles but um but no i i, I was blown away that the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band album was actually uh the, the the Beatles came up with that idea by listening to a uh, a birds album that uh that they were uh, No, I'm sorry. I take that back. I take this all back. The Beatles were influenced for Sgt. Pepper's by the Beach Boys Pet Sounds album. I take that back. It was not the Birds. The Birds uh influenced George Harrison and a few other people um in the rock and roll world, as well as the Beatles. But Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band was literally uh something that when Paul, uh, John, and Ringo, and uh, George listened to, they developed Sgt. Peppers literally after listening to uh, Pet Sounds, which was a pretty amazing album. And I got to listen to that the other night. uh, We were driving home uh, from the the movie. So it was interesting. It was just a very interesting uh, uh, story about that late 60s, um, you know, tune in, tune out, uh, you know, drop acid, uh, smoke, smoke dope all day and write uh, a hit song for, uh, for a, uh, uh, an album. So it was just really, really wild, interesting stuff. So, so that was it. I did that. And, uh, Memorial Day was, was nice. Saw some emergency patients and, uh, uh, it's. Been, I love doing chiropractic. I love. I only work about three to three and a half to four hours a day these days. So, uh, being almost being fifty-five years of age, I've toned it down to about three to four hours a day, um, from a grueling five to six hours a day uh, all the other years. Um, just kidding. Uh, but yeah, so that's. That's where uh, I've been at lately, and that's been good. Chiropractic; uh, the office has been busy, and and just trying to get you know people well from the things that they're uh, that they're going through. So that's been great. Let's see what we can talk about. So last we left off, I'm just trying to think if there's anything else. Oh, I will tell you something that I thought was very interesting. Now we left off. We're in 1980 right now. All of us that are listening to any of my stuff. So I want to backtrack something only because today in the office, somebody brought a child in and that child has been dealing with, uh, bedwetting and, uh, a couple of other things going on and just, you know, certain things going on with, with, uh, this uh, young, young boy who I believe was about eight, eight and a half, if I remember correctly. And, uh, so, you know, you try and adjust the spine and, uh, possibly um, develop uh, certain kind of effects on the nervous system, which might be uh, something that can help alleviate the problem. Uh, and so, but what what it did was it made me flash back to when I was a bed wetter. I was a bed wetter, and and my story is actually very interesting, and I'm I, I feel uh, very free and transparent to tell to talk about this. As I was talking about this tonight, actually, with Darren Carter uh, of Pocket Party podcast fame. And uh, he is the party starter, uh, headlining comedian around the country. And we were having a good conversation late night tonight on the phone. And I told him about this. And um, I said, how do you feel about me talking about that? And he said, yeah, talk about it. Absolutely. You know, you might help somebody out. So I remember, mine's a very strange case So I was a bed wetter, but he, very interesting. Not only did I, now this is really, really heavy stuff that I'm going to lay on you guys. Not only did I wet the bed, but, um, I, I was going to summer camp in 1974 to 1975 to 1976, summer of 74, summer of 75 and 76. So I was 10, 11 and 12. And I went to a a day camp called Robin Hood Country Day Camp. It was in Brookville, Long Island. Uh, Some of you might know that uh, neighborhood. Uh, It's a very affluent area in Long Island off of Glen Cove Road and Long Island Expressway. And um, it is where Howard Stern, uh, I believe, lived. Uh, I don't think he lives there anymore. I think they officially moved into Manhattan just to be able to, get up in the morning and go to work real quickly. So, uh, but he used to live there in Brookville and, uh, I went to the summer camp and I, not only did I wet the bed, this is heavy stuff, but I used to wet my pants. Literally. I I can see it now as I'm telling this story, but this thing happened in the office today with the child that made me have like a flashback to this. I almost, I almost forgot about it. And then it it woke me up to that and it made me do some thinking. Um, but I literally, I had sky blue, uh, shorts, uh, that I wore sky blue shorts. You know, you just, you know, I'm a 10, 11 year old, 12 year old kid and I'm going to camp 90 degree weather, 85 degree weather in Long Island and, uh, you know, I'm wearing shorts uh, and I wore sky blue shorts and I don't ask me why I, I, to this day, I don't know why I I was talking with Darren about it. I cannot figure it out. Um, I literally would, would pee in my shorts, in my pants. And since they were sky blue shorts, uh, obviously there would be an entire stain of urine. On my shorts, uh, right at around the you know the crotch level, the you know the genital area, uh, where the, my fly was of the shorts, it was mind boggling, and um, I I I would either cover it up with a t shirt, I would like to just put a sweatshirt around that area. I I just think about it now, and I recall one day. This is how amazing how the mind works. I I still have it in my head. I recall that I was once like. I don't know, 35 feet away from the entranceway to the to the bathroom in the camp. This was a summer camp with beautiful scenery and softball fields and archery and horseback riding and go-karts and uh, literally right on the border of C.W. Post College, right on the border of the campus. I literally used to hop a fence to go grab a burger at C.W. Post uh, um, uh, College. Uh, uh, Whatever you want to call that, uh, breakfast, whatever that is, lunch area, whatever, uh, cafeteria. Couldn't get the word out, and uh, I, 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 I don't understand why I would rather pee in my pants than take the thirty-five foot walk to uh, to the bathroom. So it's just amazing, and I'm wondering where was the trauma? Where was I traumatized? What happened in my house? that made me uh, develop this uh, gotta be something, has to be something, but I can't really break it down yet. And it was just something that made me think of, wow, I was doing that up until, literally, I'm embarrassed to say, I think I was doing it up until 12 or 13. Most bedwetters, I think, usually stop by 9, 10. I was doing it to like 12 or 13. And very, I don't know, just amazing, just amazing how... <laughs> How messed up of a of a kid I was, and I think I've spoken in previous podcasts that you know it was a it was a little bit of a dysfunctional family going on in there, and I'm trying to release a lot of that stuff these days now. Um, uh, you know, some trauma that occurred in that household uh, that affected me more than my brother primarily because my brother was five years older than me and. His personality was formed by the time that I was being traumatized by certain things. So, um, I unfortunately received the heavy brunt of any kind of, uh, oddities that were going on in the house. So I guess that was, that was something that was a manifestation of, of an oddity. I guess so. So I do remember it happening in my house and then I, and, but this thing blew my mind, uh, that uh, that it just hit me when I when they told me about the bedwetting, the patients uh, who brought their kid for me to take a look at him, uh, and I adjusted him and everything. And we'll see what happens. We'll see uh, if things start to uh, change. You know, sometimes you turn the nerve on or turn the nerve off or uh, mediate the nerve, and you know, you'd be very surprised how the body responds. So we shall see how that works out. Um, but yeah, that that created a little bit of uh, <laughs> uh, what, what, what some people would call an LSD flashback, but I never did LSD, so uh, I wouldn't know. But that created a flashback in my mind of, oh, wow, I, I did that. Oh, man, I I did that. I was six, five, five years older than this kid, and I was still doing that. So I don't know. I don't know where it comes from. I'll I'll. I'll Take any direct messages from anybody who knows about it, but so that 's the story with that, and it made me want to tell you guys uh, and I forgot I just forgot to to get into the whole fact of um, uh, that I went to summer camp, and the reason uh, I wanted to tell you is my this was a very interesting uh, aspect of my life I went to Robin Hood country day school from 74 to 76 and 1974 to 1976. And, uh, believe it or not, my day camp counselor was Donnie Deutsch, the, um, the, correspondent who has his own show. Now the celebrity, uh, ad, uh, advertising agency mogul who, uh, you know, a lot of people know Donnie. He was just in, uh, one or two episodes of the TV show, Billions. Uh, he's a pretty famous guy and uh, did very, very well for himself. And uh, he's, uh, you know, it just, very was just an, it, he was my camp counselor. And um, it was very interesting because I guess he took a liking to me and I liked him a lot and everything. He was a great guy, great counselor. There was four counselors that, you know, handled, I guess, 35 to 40 kids we played softball and archery and go-karts, all the things I mentioned a little while ago. And um, it was really interesting because he was about, when I was about 10, 11, 12, he was probably 18, 19, 20. Was about eight years older than me. I'd have to check, but I think he's about 63. I could check on Instagram. But um, Donnie Deutsch, for some reason, I guess, thought that I was a cool kid and um uh, and I, I probably was a cool kid by then. I had already been watching Johnny Carson now for, for the last three or four years since second grade. And um, I had already, you know, started mimicking and throwing my voice and uh, impressions. So I was a pretty, you know... I guess sort of a cool kid to uh, hang out with, except the fact that when I hung out with you, there's a very good chance that I'm going to have about uh, the diameter of a paper plate uh, of urine on my uh, on my lap at all times. But other than that, pretty cool guy. Um, but uh, so I uh, he took a liking to me, and and not in a weird way. So don't get any ideas. He took a liking to me in a in a like a younger brother kind of thing. And uh, he would take me and a guy by the name of Mark Fold and a guy by the name of David Mannis, who's become a pretty um, well-respected chef, a celebrity chef in New York. Um, And um, we were all—I was in the uh, Fresh Meadows area, and uh, those two guys were in Bayside. And he would pick us up at like seven o'clock at night on a beautiful summer night and take us miniature golfing. This is 1974, five and six. Take us miniature golfing on Douglaston, uh, on Northern Boulevard near Douglaston Parkway. And where John McEnroe uh, was born and raised and in Douglaston. And we would play miniature golf. And then he would take us to Burger King when Burger King first came out. It was maybe out like three years or four years. And, uh, and he would take us to Burger King. I think a burger back then was about 27 cents or 30 cents. And we would sit, munch out on some burgers, some fries, and a thick shake. And, oh, I wish I could do that now. Oh, I wish I had the stomach or the uh, – I wish I could uh, handle all the chemicals that would be uh, going down my gut uh, uh, now that, uh, that, that I was able to handle when I was 10, 11, 12. And now it's funny – is that I can't get him on the phone. I can't get this guy on the phone. He was so, you know, I looked at him as an older brother. And the fame thing, uh, can't get the guy on the phone. But he. Uh, we had some great times. And, and he, you know, took us to play, you know, miniature golf. Or uh, I think that was pretty much it. Or occasionally he took us to Adventures Inn or something, if I remember correctly, in Whitestone, which was a uh, arcade. But super cool guy. And, you know, cut. Cut to 30 30 some odd years later, he becomes mega, mega, mega wealthy, mega socialite in New York and uh, very, you know, uh, powerful businessman. And I just can't for the life of me. I've tried so many times and I can't get the guy to respond uh, in any way. I've left messages at his office He won't respond. So you know, hurts a little bit, uh, you know, cause I thought, uh, it'd be nice at this age to, uh, you know, Hey, what's happening. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm in my fifties now, man. I'm not 10. I'm not, I'm not 11 and I'm not 12. Let's go grab a bite to eat when I'm, uh, I'm visiting Manhattan. Uh, I'm going to be in town for a few days. And I thought that was just amazing. I've not been able to make that, uh, make that happen. But when the universe says it's the time, then, then, you know, that'll, that'll be the time. So, but, uh, only have nice things to say about Donnie Deutsch, uh, and um, Donnie, if you're out there or if somebody knows Donnie, tell him to pick up a phone on, uh, or get in touch with me, and it would be great to uh, it would be great to see him. Uh, I'm going to be in New York soon and en- soon enough. So um, and I'm very ha- I'm very happy. I just uh, I just got a ticket to see Broadway's Tootsie. I'm seeing Tootsie which uh, is one of my all-time favorite movies starring Dustin Hoffman, Jessica Lange, uh, Bill Murray, and Sidney Pollack. And I am a huge fan of the movie Tootsie. And uh, a good friend of mine, Stephen Scott, comedian Stephen Scott in New York, just saw it the other night at the premiere. He said it's amazing. So I am psyched. I went on Ticketmaster, and I bought a single ticket for myself, and I'm looking forward to going. And... um, going to New York soon. So with that said, I wanted to just put that out there that I went to camp, um, in 76, 76, I went to day camp a little bit before that as well, but, uh, that was Cross Island day camp in Cunningham Park. And that was just basically like, uh, a place like, you know, that was six minutes up the street from my house. So not a big deal, but, uh, I uh, wasn't a sleepaway camp neither was Robin Hood but Robin Hood was in this you know affluent brookville beautiful campus that was uh, right on the outskirts of uh, CW Post College it bordered it bordered the campus of CW Post separated by a horse stable so um that's uh what I wanted to get into with regard to the 70s now up at the 27 minute mark that's where we're at now man how time goes by so at this point in time, I am, uh, I am sort of a, uh, I don't know, almost like a ticket taker in New York, in New York, in high school, at Francis Lewis High School, 1980, figure March, April of 1980. I am uh, sort of like a ticket taker uh, of people that want to get in to the to mark 's car, otherwise known uh, if mark 's wife ex uh, if not ex wife if Mark 's widow is listening, please don 't get mad, but this was our nickname for him. Uh, I became like almost like a ticket taker and admit I, w- I was the one who was going to decide who was going to enter the fat man 's car tonight uh, tonight being a Friday or a Saturday ni- and or a Saturday night. I did not. I was the one who, who who made that decision. I found the fat man and I will decide who goes into that car. And let me tell you, man, it was uh, not man. Let me tell you folks, um, it it there, this was a powerful thing. I can't explain it to you, but people would offer me, you know, hey man, I'll bring you know a ton of weed, um, you know, uh, the, this that the next thing I'll I'll buy pizza, you know, when we go out to eat after. Uh, uh, I got to get into that car and and cruise Manhattan with you guys because at this point now, we were we I mean we were going all over the place. It was in saying what was going on in the car. Let me just describe it. It was a 1977 orange uh, orange Ford Pinto. That's part of a joke I do in, in stand-up. 1977 silver Buick Regal. And uh, at the foot in between my knees uh, on the uh, floor panel was literally, literally a hefty bag, see-through hefty bag of about... Mm, about a pound of pot, and uh, all throughout the night, and and it was just literally sitting there, and I could literally roll as many joints as the night went on, and you got to remember, at all times, there was always five of us in the car, Mark driving, and remember, he's 415 pounds. I'm at the shotgun uh, passenger seat, and then there's three people, Dan, Len, and uh, usually a guy named Howard, and, and or Tom, Tom and Howard would occasionally switch off. And let me tell you, man, people, let me tell you, folks, people were, would be bummed when they couldn't get in, when they couldn't get in to the, to the car, they would be bummed. Uh, I literally had people going, please, please take me. I want to go cruising with you guys. I want to go out to, out to Long Island uh, and, and end up in some uh, arcade on Jericho Turnpike somewhere. And, and some crazy bar way out in Long Island, and um, see if we can you know pick up girls at uh, you know from Long Island. It, it was just ridiculous. It was insane what was going on. Oh, you guys aren't going to Long Island tonight? Oh, we're just going to cruise Manhattan and and see all the the amazing things. And we used to one of the things we got into doing when we went into Manhattan was we would cruise by the um prostitutes uh at that time they were always on like 23rd street and like the west side highway or something if i remember correctly um and we would literally just you can't imagine what it was like in 1980 there would be lines of cars soliciting prostitutes literally as though you were waiting for a toll booth that's like literally at a toll booth that's literally what it was and and we never were going to do anything with with these prostitutes because a there were, we i i was scared to death of that stuff i was always really frightened about that stuff with diseases and everything but um there was five of us in the car so there was you know nobody was getting out of the car while somebody went around the block and took care of their business but it was just it was something that that just we never did we we none of the guys ever did it. but we would just want to talk to the prostitutes and 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 get an idea what what they were going through and what their life was all about. It was wild, and we did and we we did have conversations with prostitutes uh who'd come up to the car with us and they would see I was young and they'd be like, "Hey, cutie pie what are you what you up to you, you're going you're going to be a, 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 a something to to reckon with in about four or five years i mean it was just it was ridiculous what was go- what we were doing. And we would, so we would cruise the prostitutes on the uh, east side. No, it was the west side back then. I think it was the west. I have to ask the boys when I speak to them. But uh, uh, I think it was the west side. And uh, then we would end up in Times Square where we would go to a peep show. Or we would, uh, I don't think we ever went into a movie theater to actually watch, but we would go to peep shows. You put a quarter in, you go into a booth. I'll never forget. Um, all my friends went into their own booths, and um, I was going into a booth, and as I was going into a booth, a man followed me into the booth, and I turned, and I'm 15, 15 and a half years old, um, uh, six foot, 147 pounds, and uh, I, I somehow, I said to him, I said, you know, Get, turn around and get out of here. He followed me into the booth and was going to lock the door. And I, I was lucky because who knows what would ha- what could have happened in a situation like that. But, yeah, he followed me into the booth. All my friends had already gone into their booth, and um, and I was getting ready to go in. And I was in, and as I was turning the door, there was the guy behind me, and I, I somehow pushed him out. And I said, nope, that's not happening in here, buddy. And uh, But we had... Just a crazy, crazy, uh, time. And then we would do things. And, and by the way, I should say, um, I had to have one of us in that car had a guardian angel because there is no reason that I should be able to give you, um, this podcast right now based upon the fact of how much booze was consumed by Mark at the time, um, he was so drunk, even with the 415 pounds of body weight to absorb it, he was so drunk, there is there is no way that I, that I should be here right now. There is theoretically no way. Uh, all five of us at one point should have been killed in a car crash. Um, and I, I know that sounds morbid, but it, it really is the truth. Um, 35 times? And so somebody in that car had a guardian angel watching over them. And... Um, At that time, I I didn't have anybody in my family who had passed away, so it wasn't me. There had to be somebody else in that car that had somebody watching us because uh, this is way before drunk driving ever really came to the forefront. This was way before any of that stuff, but this guy consumed so much alcohol. We were all drunk, but none of us were driving. That is until the night that... Mark decided to bet me and Howie. Everybody else, I think, had the flu. Me and Howie went out with Mark. And uh, Mark literally said to us, I'm going to, uh, I bet you $5 I can, uh, I can tip over this entire bottle of Southern Comfort and drink the whole thing. Tip it over, upside down, and, uh, and uh, drink the whole thing. And uh, I bet you 5 And I'm going, no, there's no way you can do that. There's just no way. And 46 seconds later, that bottle was gone. He drank the entire bottle of Southern Comfort and was, I figured, probably, possibly dead. Um, but no, he, uh, his body weight absorbed it. And, um, even though you're 415 pounds, when you consume alcohol that fast, you do have a possibility, even at that weight, you could die from alcoholic poisoning. Your body's not able to metabolize that kind of alcohol that fast, that much alcohol that fast. And I watched it with my own two eyes and how he watched it with his own two eyes. And within four minutes, he was sound asleep. And now you're talking about a 415-pound man um, with two 15-year-old boys um, who do not have a driver's license or much less a permit, uh, somebody has to take the wheel now and either get him to a hospital if needed or get us home at some point So, because he was going to be done for the night, and that was it. End of story. He was going to be done. So we ended up – I'll never forget this. We ended up driving in Greenwich Village. We were on the west side on 7th Avenue down in, in the village. And – uh, for some reason howie i guess choosing odds or evens Howie was the one that 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 won the the ability to drive we weren't we weren 't very high or drunk at all. we were buzzed but not drunk and um uh we weren 't really drinking we at that time it was more smoking so we we were pretty had our wits about us uh with regard to to, to you know drinking and driving um so we Pretty smart on that end, um, but we how got behind the wheel of a car and drove down a one way street the wrong way, and that was when I said, "That's it, you're out of here. You're 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 sliding over the shotgun." Mark was already in the back seat, and uh, just making sure we knew we we knew he was alive because he was snoring. That was the only reason I knew the guy was alive. Um, so we, uh, I ended up driving through Manhattan uh, very paranoid. Um, you know, I have no license and no, uh, learner's permit at the time. And, uh, it, that was a scary, that was a scary, scary feeling. Uh, there was no such thing as, you know, pulling out a cell phone and calling your, your father and say, or, or it was just a whole different ball game back then. So we, uh, ended up, I said at a certain point, I said, listen, you know, city driving's insane um, let's get a couple of slices of pizza, leave him in the car. He's, he's, he's alive. Leave the windows open. It was almost like leaving a a bull Mastiff in the car. Um, open, crack the windows, get a couple of slices of pizza, um, straighten up from smoking and, uh, get, get our butts back to Queens and figure out a way to get this guy home. And, uh, somehow about an hour later, uh, we ended up he ended up coming around. He started to wake up and everything. So it was crazy. And eventually, you know, when we got to Queens, I said, you know, he was like, where are we? What, 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 what's going on? And I said, you fell asleep. And uh, we hung out in Manhattan for a little bit and ate a little. And now we're in Queens. And, I'm, you know, you got to figure out a way to get home. I'm dropping myself off. So after I dropped Howie off. So crazy times. um a lot of craziness back then. Uh, and and like I said, it was uh, nights where people were like, please let us in. Then one night, this is a great story. Then we went, one night we went to the Hamptons. I guess it was summertime. We went to the Hamptons and everybody in the car got hammered, drunk, stoned. We, we just got wasted. I, by the way, folks, please don't think of me as a guy who's, you know, that's all this guy talks about is getting wasted and having, I'm, I'm, I'm being transparent about my teens, okay. And this is, this is what teens were doing back then. We would get look plain and simple. We were getting stoned. Uh, some were doing more drugs than others. I wasn't really into that, but uh, I was more into the smoking some pot, drinking a little bit. And that was my that was my thing. Uh, eventually, I tried Quaaludes and all, which I I did like and I enjoyed. But but for the most part, I, I kept it really you know basic basic stuff. I, I I still played a lot of hoop and was an athlete and all that other uh, stuff. Um, so I don't want you to think that man, it's all this guy talks about is drinking and drugs. it's, it's just for a period of time and then. It, it It actually comes to a dead dead standstill uh, eventually, so um we'll get to that but so now we 're in the Hamptons and we are hammered and having a great time and the next thing you know, we are pulled over by a suffolk county Hamptons cop and if you know anything about Suffolk County cops, they are the highest paid cops in America, and they don 't take shit on. Anything. They are usually six foot five, six foot six uh, policemen. They're huge, and they don't put up with any bullshit. And I'll never forget this as long as, as long as we live, as long as I live, we get pulled over, and the cop I must have saw. I think Mark ran a, a stop sign, if I remember, or a California roll. He rolled through it. And the guy pulls us over because there's not that much crime there anyway, so something for him to do. And uh, pulls us over, and uh, he literally goes, "All right, is there anybody straighter?" Literally said this. Is anybody straighter than the guy in the uh, in the driver's seat right now? And we all said, uh, "No, we're actually not." And um, for some strange reason, he said all right, go ahead, uh, just be careful, guys, all right, just use your head and blah, 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 you, I didn't get you for swerving or anything, but I can smell it on your breaths, and I guess he just didn't want to uh, go through paperwork and breath analysis, and plus we were really nice and all that stuff, and just, you know, very cooperative, and, and uh, but he let us go, he let Mark go, uh, and said, you know, I'm going to keep an eye on you. I'm going to tell you guys, I'm going to tell you for a little bit, uh, just to make sure you're in the lines and everything. But I, I know you guys are, are, are drinking. So, uh, and he let us go. So I'll never forget that. That was just ridiculous. So, uh, I am not in any way a proponent. Do not drink and drive. I, I haven't, I haven't put alcohol in my mouth uh, in quite some time. And I, at all, at all, even socially. And I haven't, uh, put alcohol in my mouth as a driver. I don't believe, uh, I shouldn't say ever. I would say realistically in the last 15 years. Uh, no, what am I talking about? Last 21 years, uh, since I've been a doctor, since I became a doc, because, uh, very easy to have your license pulled, um, if you get a DUI, very simple, very easy to have them pull your license, so uh, yes, about twenty one years I have not uh, drank and drive, so I would not just not i 'm scared to death of that, so I just want to let you know that this is not you know the uh, 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 podcast you know advocating drug use, I am just being transparent and explaining what it was like to grow up in a boring <laughs> drum town of queens new york new york that 's really what it 's all about. And at that time, I was, you know, privy to, or I guess privy is a, is a nice word, to music that was conducive to getting stoned, drinking, uh, in some cases for some of my friends, dropping a hit of acid or something, and listening to uh, Floyd, Pink Floyd, Skinner, and some of the things I mentioned in the previous podcast. So it happened. People people were doing that stuff, you know. Um, I, I, didn't want to go down that road, but I did like my pot and I did like my, uh, Jack Daniels and Coke and this little Southern comfort and Coke. I wouldn't even, couldn't even imagine drinking that stuff now. Anytime I think of like, ugh, you know, colored liquors, I, I, I get nauseous thinking about it. But back then that's what we were into. So, uh, you know, don't, don't hate me because that's what I'm talking about. I'm just trying to be transparent. um, so that was about it. We would, you know, we started making new friends. We would, we would meet girls in Long Island, and now we had, we had a, uh, this girl in Roslyn, and we had that girl who had girlfriends in Manhasset, and we had friends, a girl, a girl who had girlfriends in Great Neck, Long Island and Sayaset Long Island and uh, Jericho, Long Island. And it was just, it was just crazy. We were able. And then of course I had that girl, Diane, uh, that I met in Maspeth Queens. And that was amazing. And, uh, that was an amazing, uh, thing in my life. And, um, that I had her, uh, in my life at that at that time, because it was just nice to uh, uh, be having sex as a fifteen year old kid. So it was an interesting interesting time, and um, some really amazing stuff uh, with Mark will will actually still continue. We have fifteen minutes left on this one, so uh, we are in nineteen eighty now. And as I said, and I am uh, relatively popular in school due to this. 415 pound uh, man that uh, resembles a notorious serial murderer to almost a T uh, and um, hangs out at the school parking lot uh, during lunch hour when, you know, he knew I would be there playing frisbee, uh, maybe taking a couple of hits of a joint before going back to Spanish class. And we would all hang with this guy we called the fat man, Uh, and during lunch, uh, sometimes teachers even saw us going into a car, and never didn't say a word, it was just, it was so, uh, they were so oblivious back then, there was just, I think about it now, I think about the fact, how could a 31-year-old man get away with hanging out with 15-year-old boys? Uh, without having an FBI investigation Uh, it just boggles the mind but that's the innocence of that time period it was a very innocent period back then Um, and it turned out the guy was a good guy he basically had a you know a heart of gold and all that he was a good dude and I I miss him tremendously I really do I think about him all the time but we're in 1980 now and I have a little bit of a sex life Um, Dan has a little bit of a sex life uh, all due to fat man, all because we met girls with fat man. Uh, we have a, a marijuana life. I still have a heavy duty basketball life. Basketball is still my life. Um, I really like playing stoned. My knees didn't hurt. Um, I, I, I had focus. I was focused on the court. I used to score 20, 25 points a game, completely high. So, um, it was uh, a very interesting, uh, life at that, at that point, uh, for, for us, for all of us. And we had a, you know, a sex life. We had a party life. We had this, this, this man, uh, that would take us to, um, New Jersey to, uh, Philly, De- Philadelphia, if you wanted to see Julius Irving play. Uh, it, it was it was absolutely uh, ridiculous um, what was going on. And uh, uh, and if we wanted to go to Long Island, we went to Long Island. If we wanted to go to Bridgeport Highly, we went to Highly. If we wanted to go to Yonkers Raceway, we went to Yonkers Raceway. If we wanted to go to the Meadowlands to see the horses, we went to the horses. Um, nothing, there was just no... There was no such thing as any kind of parental guidance. There was no, uh, we were all over the place. I had fake ID that I got from Times Square for about $7. And uh, it was just just insane. Um, my life consisted of, you know, a couple of slices of pizza, uh, bagels, lox and cream cheese at, from Bagel Oasis, and... Uh, You know, taking the seven train into Manhattan and some from Flushing, Queens, Main Street, Queens, and somehow, you know, uh, uh, getting into some sort of mischief in in Manhattan uh, by my, you know, myself or a couple of my friends. It was just uh, just uh, crazy. But when I say mischief, I'm talking about like fake ID and all that other stuff. So it was a little wild back then, but. Uh, like I said, high school was was getting interesting because uh, I had this—I had the, the key to the universe at that at that time, and the key to the universe was literally the ability to be mobile we were mobile i was getting not only driver's education classes on main street main street flushing but i was getting actual driving experience in parking lots with fat man if my father didn't want to take me driving i had fat man take me to a parking lot somewhere and and let me take the car and it was just it, it was beyond just you know just a whole different ball game it was just ridiculous and um it just uh, anything we wanted to do. If we wanted to go to upstate New York and and just chill out in the you know Monticello area and and, and you know where it's all you know greenery and everything uh, uh, up you know the beginning portion of upstate. It it just it was just great. It was just a, an amazing time. And let's see, we cut to cut to uh, uh, summer of 1980. I am now 16 years old, and me and Dan decide that we are going to be waiters in a camp in upstate New York, in Andes, New York. Andes, New York. The camp was called Campo Cuego, and this name will become significant in a few podcasts down the road, but the camp was called Campo Cuego, and it was a, uh, a sleepaway camp, uh, I, I guess near uh, New Paltz, near State University of New York, New Paltz, I think uh, near a town called Margaritaville, if I remember correctly. Mar- Margaretville. I'm sorry, Margaretville. Margaritaville, I think, was uh, Jimmy Buffett. Um, but no, this was a very interesting place, and uh, we were upstate New York. We were waiters. Oh, excuse me, folks. It is 5.30 in the morning. That's why these are called Bedtime Stories. And I apologize for a little bit of a yawn, but uh, we got eight and a half minutes to go. And we were uh, waiters. Dan and I decided to become waiters. And wait a second, I take it back. Dan, I, and Len, the three of us, the three Musketeers, decided to become waiters. That's right. And the gentleman's name was Stuart Chase. He was the owner of the camp and this was basically your typical meatballs movie it was basically just what you saw in the movie meatballs with bill murray and, you know, camp olympics and uh making out with girls and having maybe having sex and all that stuff and uh canoeing on a lake it was exactly what you've seen in movies that take place at summer camps and uh we uh we would uh we became counselors so uh, not counselors, waiters. So what you had to do was you you slept in a bunk full of waiters, and you got up at seven o'clock in the morning to say, serve breakfast. Seven in the morning, you were up for breakfast with a bugle, a friggin' bugle that 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 came over a loudspeaker, and <clears throat> after that you then went. Uh, you know, did your thing, whatever. You wanted to play softball. You put together a softball game. You want to play volleyball. Put together a volleyball game. Uh, And then, you know, whatever you wanted to do, you know, you roam around, uh, whatever. We'd go visit the girls' bunks and everything, all that stuff. And what you would uh, do is you'd roam, you know, do your thing for a few hours and then, believe it or not, about 12.30, you had to come back and serve lunch. And then you had to come back and serve dinner at 5.30 or 6, I think, was dinner. And, you know, think about it now. It was, it was a friggin' full-time job. And here's the kicker. This was the craziest part about the whole thing. This guy had such a great, uh, a great thing going. Um, my parents had to pay $500 for the summer, and so did Len's and so did um, Dan's to for us to go. His theory was, yes, they are going to work for me, but they're also going to be eating. So the theory was, um, the $500 for the summer is going to cover the cost to feed me. And it was, it, it was, it was mind boggling. It was just a mind boggling experience in such a great way. It was, I never did sleep camp before in my life. I have a lot of friends that did it. Uh, a lot of people I know that used to go to camp, uh, from high school and I never did it. And it was, uh, it was just an amazing summer full of absolute, uh, smoking pot all day, uh, serving, being a waiter stoned. Uh, it was, (laughs) it was just nonstop getting high and, and playing ball, playing ball stoned and getting high and, and and serving tables and going into some guy's bunk and listening to uh, 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 Pink Floyd's Animals, the album, album Animals. It was just an amazing summer. And Fat Man would drive up. I think he came up once or twice to drop off weed. He would drop off like, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, a quarter of a pound of weed. <laughs> whatever. It was ridiculous. He was, it was, he was the, he was the liaison to getting us weed because the pot up there was horrible. It was horrible. So a couple of people had some good pot, but for the most part, it was absolutely horrible. What they called dirt weed. It was horrible. And we would, um, fat man would come up and we would meet him like at the entranceway to camp. And <laughs> <laughs> which was, you know, uh, half mile from the bunks and, um, in the woods kind of thing. And, uh, you know, we'd hang with him, we'd go into town with him and get a, you know, go to the Margaritaville diner or whatever, uh, Margaretville diner, uh, and get a bite and then, you know, gave him a few dollars or whatever for for the pot. And, you know, everybody in the bunk had weed now. And, you know, it was just, it was, it was hilarious. It was just, just hysterical. And uh, that was the first season summer that I ever smoked pot out of what's called a gas mask bong. So you literally have a gas mask. Over you and you inhale it that way. It was uh, another interesting thing that I that I learned. Yeah, these are the, the the wonderful things. Like my parents would say, "Oh, these are the wonderful things I learned uh, about you uh, from from summer camp." Um, my mother always jokes about that. She about she goes, "Oh, it's so nice to hear all the things that you did that I didn't know anything about." But um, it did make me a little bit of a streetwise guy. <laughs> me uh, grow up quicker than the average person. And um, we got about three minutes and 15 seconds to go. And um, it was uh, truly a great summer. And I made some uh, actual friends from there. I will tell you one interesting thing that I did in uh, in uh, Campo Cuego. I, uh, I actually did something that is a pretty difficult thing to do. I uh, had a high jump. I literally hurdled At the time, I was able to hurdle a five-foot-high high um, high jump pole. Uh, So instead of doing the Fallsbury flop, I high-jumped five feet, uh, but I hurdled it. And if you know anything about hurdling, most people hurdle three-foot hurdles uh, in track. I hurdled five feet, and um, that's how high I was able to jump back then. Uh, that's why I was able to dunk and all that stuff. So uh, that was the highlight of the summer uh, in the Olympics. I think I came in second or something in the Olympics. Uh, somebody did the Fallsbury flop and beat me or something like that. But I, I did pretty well and uh, I was scared to death to do the Fallsbury flop. But I did do, uh, I actually hurdled five feet in the air, which is pretty tough and that's how high my my vertical leap was at one point i i had great springs in my legs and um so that was the highlight of the of the summer for me but um you'll we're going to wrap this up um i end up coming home we all end up coming home and having a great uh uh, uh 1980 and then uh we'll talk a little bit about um on the next uh Podcast. We'll get into uh, Springsteen's release of the River, uh, and that takes place in October of 1980. And we become very, uh, you know, became in, become very influenced by uh, by Bruce. But uh, got a couple of great, good, more stories for you. A couple of interesting stories for you, and then it's, then it's going to start taking off to the college years, where it's very interesting. And uh, we got, we got, we got some interesting stuff for you. So I hope I'm being transparent enough, and I hope you're, you're liking this. And once again, to reiterate. Uh, uh I, I know it sounds like that's all this guy did was drugs and meanwhile i was you know uh, getting you know 97s in geometry and algebra and all that stuff and trigonometry but uh english i didn't do too well on the uh, sat's only got a 410 on the sat's um on the english portion but uh that's it we got plenty more to talk about we'll talk about uh my desire to eventually live in manhattan which will become a self fulfilling prophecy that takes place in 1987. But we got a lot, of, a lot of work to do in between, and I hope you'll enjoy. And I do hope you come back. Uh, um, you know, any listeners that I lost, I do hope I can get you back. All righty. Speak to you guys. Thank you so much for listening.